Facebook world and podcast, folks. Time for another episode of Things My Mother Never Told Me. All right. Say hey, Tanya. Hey, everybody. Help me. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. We got another one, our special guest. The family is deep. It's deep. <laughs> Mr. Kevin Lewis. <laughs> Tanya, go ahead and read that bio. We're going to read your bio. Okay. And then we're going to uh, get into this thing, let you tell the story. All right. All right, everybody. Welcome, Kevin Lewis, who is an associate director of equity at work at Beloved Community, a racial and economic justice consulting firm where he provides strategic consulting and training on racial equity and sustainable change for organizations. Kevin has a professional background in higher education, nonprofit BIE facilitation, and social justice curriculum training design. He came to his current role at Beloved Community because he found a deep alignment between Beloved's values and his personal and professional values rooted in equity and liberation. Kevin has demonstrated his passion for facilitation through presenting for global audiences in Canada, Australia, and the U.S. He holds a B.S. Ed in Human Development and Family Studies from Bowling Green State University and an MSN in Higher Education Student Affairs from Indiana University. Kevin is a proud native of Detroit and currently lives happily in New Orleans. <laughs> All right, let's welcome Kevin Lewis. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, how you doing? <laughs> Pretty good. I mean, hearing a bio read back to me, I'm like, I only, you know, hear bios from like really important people doing really important things. So I was like, okay, I have a little short bio. I've done a, I've done a few things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was good to hear. But right. I'm doing good. Doing good. All right. Yeah, because you you're an important important person and you're doing some important things. So, so you know. But you know, the thing is, is that a lot of times we we because we're doing it, we don't see it. Like we see what everybody else right. is doing. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Mm-hmm. So real quick, uh, uh, where'd you go to high school? I went to the one and the only, the number one high school in the city of Detroit, Renaissance High <laughs> so School. He gonna say Renaissance. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> school of the Mighty Phoenix. Um, you know, I was gonna still cast sex slogan and be like second to none, but I don't even want to bring that into the space. I went to Renaissance. I went to Renaissance. Okay. <laughs> see, see, the reason why she said, oh, boy, is because most of our guests who know, uh, well, we didn't do it on purpose. Most of our guests went to CAS. <laughs> okay. Wait, did either of y'all go to CAS? I did. Oh, okay. Yeah. My parents went to CAS, too. Um, so. I know. And yeah. my, my son went to CAS. Yeah. It's a divided house because my older brother, we both went to Renaissance, but then my younger brother ended up going to CAS. I'm like, where did you go wrong? Like, where did we go wrong with you? <laughs> you know, like following the cast tradition. I didn't like that. <laughs> I'm glad that you all decided to finally have a Renaissance person on here. <laughs> it was an accident. No, 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 no. Because 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 Philip went to Renaissance, right? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was on here. Okay. Yeah. I yeah. I I'm like, okay, I followed you to high school, followed you on the podcast. It's yeah. fine. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what we want to do is, is that uh, mm. you do work with uh, equity, diversity, inclusion, that sort of thing. Uh, mm. What got you started on that journey? Mm. Yeah, I I mean, I, I think my journey really started um, in undergrad going to a predominantly white institution. Uh, I think that's where I really 
began to get exposed, right, to what it meant to be Black in all white spaces, um, what did it mean to really go through, like, developmentally, like, 18, 19, 20 years old. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also went to school around the time of the killing of Trayvon Martin, the -hmm. murder of Trayvon Martin. So at the time that I was in undergrad, I mean, I was working through a lot of complex feelings of, like, anger, but, like, fear, but also, like, rage and joy for finding like my people in college. And so uh, in undergrad, I really became passionate about organizing and activism. And so I became president of Black City Union, really became passionate about like raising consciousness around Black issues, particularly for Black students, mm-hmm. really organizing with like Latino Student Union and all these other groups of like marginalized folks. Um, and then from there, it just really took me to really thinking about um, in what ways do I want to contribute to building a more equitable world? Like what's in the locus of my control? Like I had that thought in undergrad, you know, at a very small scale. Yeah. And that just led me into higher education because I was like, you know, I don't want future Black students. I want them to have a space to feel enraged, right, about what we're seeing in the country. Yeah. And so that led me into higher ed and working with students of color and student support services. Um, but then I was like, I don't know if higher ed is really is really where I feel like I can make the most impact in terms of like my passion. Yeah. Um, and so that led me into nonprofit work, um, working K through 12 education, but really uh, working to facilitate conversations for grades six through 10. Because okay. another part of it is sometimes we, I don't feel like we're having these conversations younger, uh, young yeah. enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so after that work, Again, this question, this urging of like, where do I want to make the most impact? Where am I most passionate? And that led me to Beloved, um, which is a which is a, a beautiful organization um, that more that focuses more on organizational culture, right? Mm-hmm. Um, organization shifts. Okay. What are people actually experiencing in the workplace? How do we make systemic change? Mm-hmm. How do we move from you know, these performative DEI things like Bath and Body Works candles, right? <laughs> During Black History Month. Like, how do we move past that to being really intentional about how do we um, how do we build equity into how we're paying people, mm-hmm. specifically Black and Brown people? Yes. So that's that's kind of like a short sort of like I, I started with activism in undergrad, and it's led me to kind of full circle of like. How do we just like think more systemically about change? Yeah. Um, so that way, you know, we, we're making sure that our black and brown people are being taken care of in these workplaces that can be really traumatic for a lot right. of people. Right. Without yeah. a doubt. Without a doubt. And and that's 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 so so how long uh have you been on on that on that journey? You say you started undergrad, but the where you are now, how long? Um I guess professionally, uh, this is my third job. I'm a I'm a youngin, you know, in the workplace. So I, I've been on a journey in terms of nonprofit work for about almost four years now. Um, higher ed, I was in there for about a year, and then I had my master's, which is another two years. Um, so I said, like this journey, you know, from between undergrad and now has been about ten, almost ten years, trying to figure this all out. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a nice start of a journey <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it's, especially especially navigating to finding where exactly you you can fit in and, and do and do the most good yes because we had another guest on she uh she actually was working at a university down in florida mm. and, and she was working with 
at one time with the Black Greeks. Mm-hmm. So, so trying to help them with inclusion and diversity. And then she did some other stuff. And then she transitioned from there to working with uh, with governmental agencies, uh, city okay. government, that kind of thing. And, and I think now she has her own business mm. where, she, where she teaches it because it's just like you, like you were saying, it's just so much, so much that you got to navigate through. Exactly. And, and, it, and being a person of color, dealing with those issues, it kind of gets very frustrating very quick. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It can yeah. be fatiguing for sure. Yeah, it can right. be. I was just talking about that earlier when we were facilitating for a group of um, black and brown leaders that are leaders in organizations, and mm-hmm. we were just having an open conversation about how exhausting it is and how exhausting it can be to be a person of color in the workplace. Yeah. Um, I mean, let alone a person of color in this country. You know, always <laughs> have your identity debated. You know, always having your identity some source of a hot topic or like some sort of like law being enacted, trying to revise history. Right. You know, right. when you're directly impacted by it, it can be. Yeah, it can yeah. be exhausting. Though. Right. And, and everybody trying to tell you how you should feel. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, real quick story. Uh, when I was a fresh, was it a fr- my freshman year in college was when Roots came out. Oh. And, you know, the group of people that I came up with, we were not militant, but we definitely were into black power, black, you know, that sort of thing. And when when it came out, I told all my friends, we were at Western Michigan University, which is, again, predominantly white institution. It was just out of 30,000 students, only 2,000 were black. I told all my friends, don't watch it. I said, I'm not going to watch Roots. Y'all shouldn't watch Roots. And they were, ah, you crazy. Because I understood by watching that and getting exposed to some the reality of it, that I was going to be angry. Mm. And everybody, that, after the first episode, everybody I know was angry. And they didn't want anybody that wasn't Black saying anything to them. Mm. <laughs> because yeah. they were just getting ticked off. So it puts us in a, in a space. That, and and we had, we're the ones that have to be careful what we say and do. Mm. <laughs> so, so the... Uh, I'm going to jump around real quick. So you did some uh, uh, facilitating with global audiences, Canada, Australia. Uh, what was that like? And how, and how did that come about? Yeah. Uh, my last job was an organization that was actually founded in Australia. Now, I don't know how. I. It's it's funny because, like, when I first heard about the job, I thought it was fake. You know, like, or like a like a scam or like one of those robot things, <laughs> you know, like Australia, like, okay, really? Like there's a job I'm going to be working that is founded in Australia. But that was, angle, I know. <laughs> it was a real job, y'all. You know, I was there for two and a half years. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, so um, because it was um, founded in Australia, they were pretty much trying to take their curriculum around um, identity, around diversity, cultural competence. Mm-hmm. They were trying to take their, their K through 12 curriculum and expand it into the U.S., Brazil, um, Canada. So I worked in the U.S. hub and that meant traveling to Canada a lot to facilitate for, you know, grades six through 10. Okay. I facilitated in Australia um, for them. And yeah, Australia is different. I don't, I don't know if y'all been to Australia, but. Oh, you, it, so you literally had to go to Australia to do the facilitation. It wasn't yeah, a, a, yeah. Okay. No, I've never yeah. been to Australia. never been that far. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know if y'all like planes, but like 17 hours on a plane. I, it was it was just it was a lot. You're shaking your head like could not be me. No. Um it was yeah, Australia's a different places on the other side of the world, but that also I think because of 
where they're situated and who is in Australia, right? Mostly white folks and people of Asian descent. Um, I think their ideas about race are so, so, so different from mm-hmm. us um, that it, it took a lot of work to facilitate conversations about identity, facilitate conversations about what it means to be a person of color to white Australian students. Yeah. Because their concepts of race is very much around like indigenous Australian. Right. Okay. Or, right. Like it's not, you know, here we have a lot of different ways that we think about race. I mean, in Australia with those students and just the relationship between like indigenous Australians and white Australians is just so complex that it was definitely different. Like their ideas about, I mean, race and identity and schooling for their children is is very different. So I, um, I'm glad I was able to go. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have ever been in Australia if it wasn't for me working for, for that organization. <laughs> like, I don't, like, why would I, you know, yeah, well, beautiful place. But yeah. <laughs> my mom would have been like, what are you doing? <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, um, it was a learning curve for me for sure yeah. to talk about race, but in a way that um, is not us focused. Okay. Yeah. Did, did that, but that allowed that kind of allowed you to. Well, let me let me answer this question. Not as a statement, it's almost a statement. So, was it less personal dealing with them and, and their racial mm-hmm. issues than than ours? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I want to say it was less personal. I think there were times where I was definitely frustrated of like, why don't you get this? Like, but also understanding like in a different continent country, like their, their politics around race are just going to be different from ours. So I think there's a certain level. Oh, let me say this. I think what was most frustrating sometimes would be the colorblindness, right. Of, of it all of like, and I'll show you, we don't have those race problems, (laughs) you know, pretty much like we all get along, like healthcare is great. Like we have all these systems that are far more advanced in the U S so I think because a lot of Australians were maybe socialized in a way to not see race and not see color, um, because literally, like, they may not be exposed to people with brown skin um, at all. Um, sometimes it felt very personal, and I had to kind of, like, do the inner work to be like, okay, Kevin, different context. This doesn't take away from what you know mm-hmm. and what you mm-hmm. have experienced as a black person in America. You're just facilitating a different type of conversation. Okay. So yeah, I, I want to. I mean, yeah, I think there were personal frustrations I had, but um, I just had to kind of like take a step back and do the inner work to say, how do you talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion with high school students in Australia, but still take care of yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, without getting too frustrated, right? And yeah. so, and so, did that experience uh, help you in your uh, journey here? I think so. I think so. I think that experience. I think working there and working, you know, in Canada and Australia. Um, I think it definitely opened my eyes to what is possible. I guess okay. I'll say that. Um, I think to this, this idea of like things that my mother never told me, I think it's less about what she didn't tell me and more so about what the experiences that I did not necessarily think were available to me growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm from Detroit, right? A lot of people don't leave. Right. Um, we don't really talk. Uh, 
growing up, I always thought that to travel internationally meant that you had to be rich. Like you had to have a lot of money. You had to go to private school. You were going to country day. You know, yeah. I, I just didn't, I didn't really know what was, what was possible, what, what capacity I had to be able to one day be able to travel internationally for work and do what I love to do internationally. So yeah, it definitely kind of exposed me to, um, I think how capable I can be with the right resources and the right access. And this goes yes. for a lot of people. This goes for a lot of people, especially mm-hmm. our, our black and brown youth. The the power in just having access, right? And exposure and resources yes. really shows you what you're capable of. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why we talk so, so much about access at work, you know, yes. especially in schools with our black and brown youth. So, right. yeah, I didn't know what was, I didn't know what was accessible to me, but going there and experiencing different kinds of contexts, I was like, oh, this is what, this is what is possible, right? I can talk about this stuff in Australia and it still be successful. Okay, right. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Yeah, because I, I guess that, you know, what's the, the biggest issue or roadblock to, to Black folks' success outside of, of what they may think is mm-hmm. the fact that a lot of stuff is not available or mm-hmm. accessible to us for whatever reason, you know, because sometimes a lot of times it's because the majority of folks don't make it available, but then other times because we don't realize that it's there. Yeah. 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 yeah just take the, the, the pandemic, for instance, with our children. Um, like you said, they, they were given computers, but then, like you said, some areas didn't have uh, Wi-Fi. You know what I'm saying? And our children, you know what I'm saying? And we're so used to not having these things that our parents, mm-hmm. you know, they, you know, they were relaxed about, you know, because first of all, they couldn't even believe it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. They yeah. were just saying, really? Now how do I use it now that I got it? How yeah. do I, you know what I'm saying? We're so not used to it. We're used to the, you know, the schools and all that. And we just don't have the resources that right. the others that have. And then when we get when they come become available, some people don't take advantage of because yeah. they're not used to having it, so they don't want to even be bothered with it. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, I think that's that's such a good point. And like we talk a lot about, you know, um, this idea of equality versus equity and how they are very different. And so, you know, what you're talking about is like, you know, at a school, a school gives everyone laptops or like everybody Mm -hmm. an iPad or something like that. Like everyone gets the same device. But like. um, When you tell them to like take it home or whatever, um, they might not have um, access to Wi-Fi because Mm -hmm. of whatever reason. Or we talk all the time about like how equity is so much about how you need to really center the needs of people, how Mm -hmm. you really understand what barriers people are facing, right, right, for access, because then it just becomes equality and equality can lead to a lot of gaps, you know, um, and that's why it's like when we look at, you know, disproportionate academic success, I guess you could exactly. say, exactly, mm-hmm. it needs to take into account people's context. It can't just be, well, I gave everyone an iPad, uh, yeah. they're not logging in, you know, it's like equity <laughs> is like, okay, well, let's talk about what's going on at home. Let's talk about access to Wi-Fi. Let's talk yeah. about what's in the neighborhood. Let's talk about if this child is actually a caretaker, yeah. because you forget, you know, that, that kids, yes. in ways, 
you know, can be caretakers. And so, yeah, I, I, just, I just love that point because it just makes me think how much we we need to be clear about making a distinction when we talk about access, mm-hmm. making a distinction between equality and equity because they are very different things. Yes, yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah, because we were involved in that situation where oh, we did. were there and they we they would do, you know, parents had to come and pick up the laptops that they were distributing. And mm. then it was like, so where did they go from here after that? Right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? And, and, they, and uh, even, the one, even the ones that didn't never came and picked them up. Yeah. Because yeah. because that's were, a whole question. Why? Right. When we were there, they. uh there was a whole room full of iPads or tablets mm-hmm. that were still there. For, and they said these parents had not come and gotten these tablets. Yes, exactly. And so they would, they had open date on the weekend for them to come. But then, and in order for them, once they came, then they had also had the ability because somebody had they partnered with them. I can't remember who it was. that was providing internet access, mm-hmm. but you had to come in and, and get the tablet exactly. and then sign up for the internet access. And you know how we are in our community. We, they don't even want to fill out a census form. So, you know, they don't want you to know anything else about you. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, so the question should have been, you know, like if you're noticing that people aren't picking these up, the question is why? How do you get feedback, you know, to mm-hmm. really learn about people's experiences? Because now we're talking about transport, lack of transportation access. Right. You know, if you're not providing, I think something that happens a lot with well-intentioned organizations and schools is that, you know, in that instance is that they'll stop with, Okay, we noticed that these certain parents, and it's often parents of color, right? Right. These parents of color are just either too lazy or yeah. they don't care about the iPad. When really the question should be about access and whether the school is actually providing something to mitigate that barrier. Because if it mm-hmm. is, or if it is the hours, you know, you could be like, oh yeah, you can only pick up laptops between one and five p.m. Mm-hmm. as if people don't work, you know. So yeah. it's right. like that's how we get into like these ideas about stereotyping people and these ideas about like racism rooted in individual actions when we should be talking about systemic racism, right? Like the exactly. issues of access that that are so interconnected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So. <laughs> You're looking at your journey. Struggle so you, continues. Right, you went to Bowling Green. Yes. How was that? <laughs> <That's bad. laughs> um, yeah. Um, Bowling Green, I love my alma mater. Um, I definitely think that I would not be who I was, who I who I am without Bowling Green. Um, that was another that was another experience again to this idea of like access and not knowing what was possible sometimes growing up is that I went to Bowling Green for free. Like mm. I didn't have to pay anything. Yeah. And that was something that like, again, I wasn't, I wasn't even going to apply for the scholarship program to your point that you were talking about earlier. Like I didn't even want to apply because I didn't think that that was something that was for me mm. that mm-hmm. I can, that can happen in my lifetime. Because again, <laughs> you hear about like, a, it's one thing to to go to college, right? But then right. Yes. to know that you're going to have to like take out all these loans. And we all know that, you know, loans in a lot of other ways are just like black and brown people are just disproportionately impacted. Right. Right. But um, yeah, I was not even going to apply to this scholarship because I already had in my mind that I wasn't going to get it. Mm-hmm. So I literally waited until the week of. And again, I just... 
it gives me chills thinking about the fact that I was not about to do this, but that's how deep, right, this socialization thing goes, right? Mm-hmm. You deserve something or you don't think that it's possible. Some youth don't fill out the essay part of their scholarships and whatever. Right. I can go about that. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, so I applied for the scholarship and that's what really sealed my deal with Bowling Green was like, okay, like I have to take advantage of this because I don't want my parents coming out of the pocket. I don't want them paying for mm-hmm. anything. And because of that scholarship program, it connected me to so many other resources on campus. Mm-hmm. And then I connected with, you know, some of my best friends that I still have to this day because of Bowling Green. And because okay. even though I was in this predominantly white space, the community of Black students there were so strong. And sometimes I'm like, I hate sometimes that as Black folks on PWIs and all these campuses, a lot of the things that bond us are like, terrible things that happened to us, but I, I am deeply grateful for like my experience at Bowling Green because of the people that I've met, the people I still talk to, but also because it was my real launching pad to be able to have these kind of conversations and really figure out what I'm passionate about and also really be challenged in it. I had a lot of growing up to do. Like when I, when when I went to Bowling Green, I realized I had a lot of growing up to do for sure. (laughs) Um, but yeah, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Um, but it was the launching pad I had, I really, really needed for sure. Well, obviously you were up to the task. (laughs) Yeah. Right. I mean, with the support of a lot of people, you know, church included, you know, one of that, one of that new prospect scholarship was also nice. (laughs) 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 uh, Bowling Green. Right. Right. Cool. And so then you went to, uh, Indiana, (laughs) you went to IU for, (laughs) Master, <laughs> are you familiar with IU? Like, I'm <laughs> are you like I, I'm not intimately familiar with it, yeah. I, but I'm uh allegorically, I'll put it that way. Okay, I say I got big words, I know all these words, I know. <laughs> so not that he a college student, again. <laughs> right? Those, <laughs> those essays and those papers, you know, oh, yeah, got you in the dictionary, the thesaurus. Oh, yeah, you build your vocabulary <laughs> real quick, right? <laughs> but you know, but but Indiana. It, in and of itself, historically, has a, a, a what what word should I use? A shadow, I guess, when it concerns mm. race relations. Mm. But uh, but I but I found out we had a guest on here that, that her her grand great grandfather great great grandfather was a a, a freed man, and he mm. actually he actually made his way to Indiana. Interesting. And, right. And so some of the stories you hear about Indiana and, and the stuff that we see about how undiverse of a place it is. That yeah. is, that, that that struck me as kind of strange when she was telling us that. So what was your experience at, at, at IU? Yeah, undiverse. <laughs> That's not a lie. That's not a lie. That is not a lie. I mean, yeah, we like to talk about, you know, Michael Jackson and Jackson Fiber from Gary, Indiana, like whatever. But where I was, you know, it was a campus. It was a college town. I'm, I am grateful that I was there for school mm-hmm. because, again, like Bowling Green, I had a very structured, specific group of Black people that I plugged into and that, like, really made my experience what it was. Now, being in Indiana was not, it was not great because of what you're talking about. Like there are a lot of racial dynamics in Indiana. Um, there are a lot of smaller towns. Like I remember like specifically when I first got to Indiana, um, 
so Indianapolis, which is there are black people there. So yeah. I felt safe going to Indiana, uh, Indianapolis. But between Indianapolis and Bloomington, which is where I went to IU, it's about a 45 minute gap. But in order to get to Indianapolis, you have to pass through a town called Martinsville. And so when I first moved there, you know, they were like, so, you know, black people looking out for black people. They were like, Kevin, when you're driving through, you're going to pass through Martinsville. Just make sure you go the speed limit. I mean, this is also something my dad used to tell me. Right? Mm-hmm. No, but like, you know, just make sure that you are watching it. Make sure you're not driving too late because Martinsville was a sundown town. Right. So like, you know, when the sun goes down, make sure you're not around kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And right. it's and a lot of people told me that it still kind of is. So I think Indiana for me in particular was like, uh, it was just different. It was a different feel. I felt more afraid, I think, sometimes than like I would have liked to admit at that time. Right. Um, traveling and also like, you know, Ohio's a little different. Ohio was an hour. I mean, Bowling Green, you know, there's Bowling Green to Leo Detroit. Right. Mm-hmm. I was five hours away, five and a half hours away. Um, don't know anything about Indiana. Um, but I think IU in and of itself, yeah, they have a lot of work to do um with their their um you know, diversity in terms of like what it looks like, but also like just making sure that, you know, people feel safe in the surrounding areas, you know, if you're a person of color. So, but I think in terms of the community I built, again, friends that I, I'll probably call friends forever because just the, I think, uh, especially in undergrad and grad school, I mean, you're going through similar experiences, you know, yeah. you're connecting over you know, being this program or writing papers, as you probably, <laughs> as you probably, you know, yeah. know right now, <laughs> writing papers together, you know, doing things. And so I think my experience at IU is definitely like a little complicated for me because, again, I was coming from one PWI where I was feeling a lot of complex feelings around like Trayvon Martin. And then like, I mean, the the killings kept happening. Right. So I was right. all dealing with a lot of racialized, like, issues and then I mm-hmm. end up in Indiana. So it was tough, but I'm just glad I found community. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And it, it's amazing because you know I, I'm I'm still amazed at some of the stuff that went on during my youth when it comes yeah. to when it comes to a, a racial equity conclusion, whatever you want to call it. And then and then and and I'm a few years ahead of you. <laughs> we are and just and a few. yeah just a few. <laughs> and 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 that you would that you would go through the same type yeah, thing, same but then when 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 we broach the issue in a public forum, they want to say that stuff don't exist. It ain't real. Yeah, yeah. What parallels do y'all feel like you see between what we're seeing today, like what maybe my generation, right, like twenty, thirty? Like, what do you see? Because you mentioned roots being out, and I I think that's similar to like some of the shows that come out now, where we're like, we're not going to watch that. That's too much. Mm-hmm. But are there other things that y'all have experienced, like you know, when you were younger, that you're like, oh, this is exactly what they're experiencing today? Oh, I mean, well, well, the 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 issue that you just said about like going from Bloomington to Indianapolis mm-hmm. for us, like I went to Western Kalamazoo, yeah, right, Kalamazoo. Okay, so from Detroit to Kalamazoo, two hours, two and a half hours back then, we had to pass through a little town called Marshall. Mm. And Marshall at one time, so we're told, was where the uh, the Grand Dragon of the Klan lived. Wow. <laughs> and so Marshall was one of those towns that, that mm. we were cautioned 
to not stop there. Mm-hmm. If you got to get gas or you're hungry, don't stop at Marshall. Go to drive, drive on, get to the next town, get the boat, yeah. get get the Battle Creek, but don't stop there. And so, so for when you said that, it's it's the idea that even now there are certain places when you get outside of, of major metropolitan areas where it's not a safe feeling for somebody of color to be on the road because it's, like you got you better drive the speed limit right there. Or don't get, don't let the sun go down on you while you're coming through there because you never know what's going to happen. And that's the stuff that we see in all these old movies. You know, uh, uh, you know, they call me Mr. Tibbs and, and all that stuff where it's not safe for us to be out there, no matter who we are. And like you said, when you look back on it, you realize mm-hmm. how safe you didn't feel back then. You didn't want to admit it because you know macho. Right. But when <laughs> but when you think back on it, we can be macho all we want, but. 50, 60, 10, 10, 12 guys coming at you, that macho ain't gonna help you. No, it's yeah. That masculinity, that macho, this is not it's more likely to get you in trouble. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I think that the thing incidents like that where where we still there are places that we as people of color we go that we we don't feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. That we, I mean, we should be able to go anywhere we want to go and not have to be a community of black folks there for us to be comfortable. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that kind of thing is what I see the parallel. I went to Eastern, so it was a lot of black folks there. A lot mm-hmm. of black yep. Greeks, a lot of everything. So yeah. you know, <laughs> and we always traveled in groups. So right, right, yeah. right. But the sad, but the sad part is not too far from there. Yeah. There were little communities like you know, Ann Arbor. Of when course. we were when we were in school, Ann Arbor wasn't the place where black folks wanted to oh, really, really be. Oh okay. no! Oh no! You know, okay. if you, if you didn't go to U of M or or was a, and it was an athlete, You're right? That wasn't a very welcoming place. Mm-hmm. It's better now, but there's still you know you, so there there are still pockets. It's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you know the the the, the Midwest. It's not hidden either, right? You know, they talk, <laughs> you know, in, the, right, in, the, in the South they talk about because it, it, we just it was known, but right? Up, up here, try to hide it. Hide it. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, well, they don't even try to hide it. You know, if, well, yeah, only yeah. In, only in the big cities. But when you get outside, and and in the and we're still in the Midwest, so we got a lot of farmland, a lot of rural areas that are off the radar. Yeah, and that's scary for a lot of people. <laughs> like all this farmland. Yeah, the Midwest, the North. You know, trying to make it seem like we were so post racial. You know, like at at a time uh, is definitely false. You know, yes. a lot of stuff was going on up here in the Midwest. Right. Exactly. And so yeah. and so it's, it's so I, that's why, you know, I, I, I like it that, that, that young people like yourselves are uh, are still working, working to, to uh, fight this battle of, of, of information, because that's mm. really what it boils down to is, is, is providing information so that we can have dialogue. Because mm. I know I know the beloved community now that that the, the leadership, the, the predominance of that group is 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 a majority population, isn't it? Beloved community, no, we're we're majority black. Yours is okay. One of the reasons why I joined, you okay. know, is that we we don't bend to like what white people think we should be doing, you know, like we don't really um we really do center center blackness um mm-hmm. in what we do. And so but beloved community, like in uh, outside of the organization I work for, you know, was um, we really get that from like Martin Luther King's sort of like beloved community politic around like, right. We okay. need to bring us all in yeah, to make some change. But yeah, like, no, we're not, 
um, we we um, we're most of us are black. <laughs> good. Well, that's, good. <laughs> that's good because because otherwise, how can you how can you present your your uh, platform? Yeah, if right. It, if it ain't you presenting the platform, right? So 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 then your journey took you down to New Orleans. Yes. And so how is the tying in? Yeah, I don't know how I ended up here, to be honest. Like, I, yeah, I don't know. It was random. I was like, you know, I don't, I've never been to New Orleans before moving here. I moved, I think I, I visited once on a school trip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I wanted to branch out of the Midwest. Because okay. I, Detroit, obviously, then was in two Midwestern schools. And then I decided to apply, you know, in different places. And a lot of them were Midwest. And I was like, you know, how can I push and challenge myself to have a completely different experience, you know? And that that is something that I will say my parents really pushed me quite young um, to really think about is like, how can I have more, especially when I was in high school, like how can I really push myself past the fear of like staying home yes. um, and create a new experience for myself, you know? Cause at the end of the day, I knew my family was always going to be supportive. So yeah, I pushed myself to apply to Tulane um, down here, Tulane University down here, got a job. And now I'm here in New Orleans five years later. I told myself, I was like, I'm going to go to New Orleans for two years, you know, have a good time. I'm 23 years old, like at the time. Um, I just want to have a good time. And then I want to go back to school two years later. That did not work out. You know, <laughs> other plans happened. Um, and yeah, I just ended up falling in love with the city and I ended up falling in love with Oh, and the other reason why I moved here was that it's a it's a majority black city. Mm-hmm. I was very intentional and clear of myself that wherever I left IU, I was going to be in the space of community. I was going to be in a space where I felt affirmed, where I felt safe, where I felt like I can grow in a way that because uh, I like to say I, I'm growing up in New Orleans because mm-hmm. I'm really learning a lot now. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really learning a lot around what it means to be on my own because I don't have any family from here. You know, I didn't know anybody before moving to New Orleans. Oh, wow. Okay. So I really wanted to, yeah, I wanted to push past the fear of it all, of like being in a new place, um, learning more about who I am as a person, as, mm-hmm. a, as a young adult, but also being in a space that is so Black and is so, uh, so much culture, you know, like, so I don't know if y'all have been here, but I mean, everyone knows about the culture of New Orleans. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> You're having memories like, oh, yeah, I remember New Orleans. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah we, I've been, I've been there been one at, or two times. Yeah, we've been there for time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. It's a place that really, um, I think because the people here are so authentically themselves, mm-hmm. as y'all know, since you've been here, mm-hmm. it pushes you to really... Uh, push past like this this fake facade because yes. people are honest here that it really pushes you to sit with yourself and um I, I just really appreciate the the honesty and the authenticity of this city mm-hmm. um because it almost forces you to 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 be the same you know like to catch up because people here they're gonna tell you how it is you know whether that's your food is nasty or you know, you're not having a, a good time, like what's going on. Uh, so that's the other reason that that I, I, I kind of felt drawn and, you know, continue to like be here. Um, mm-hmm. And this is also how I found Beloved. So, okay. Wow. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. a good place. Good place. I mean, it's, it's I, 
I don't like to be the spokesperson, you know, like everyone should just move down here. Cause there's <laughs> a difference between, I, I tell this to my friends and they're like, Kevin, I, I want to like move down there, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, there's a difference between visiting New Orleans and living in New Orleans. Yes, like, it is. Those are not the same. With anything. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, here for a weekend is not the same as living here. So, right. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Yeah. Cause all yeah. the good, cause in the weekend, you can miss all the bad stuff. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if, if there be any. That's that's correct. That's so great. so let me take a detour, and then we mm-hmm. we, prep, we prepped you before we got started. So aside from what we talked about earlier, is, is there something that you discovered uh, that your mother didn't prepare you for on your journey? Mm. Yeah, I think um, something that came to mind when y'all asked me that question was definitely around mental health and taking care of my mental health for mm-hmm. sure. I think that. Um, you know, one of the things is for a lot of black folks, like we don't always prioritize it, you know, for for whatever reason, it could mm-hmm. be the stigma around even saying the words mental health. Yeah. Yes. We know that for a lot of our families, we have like this trauma that's been passed down, you know, yes. so whether we like it or not. Mm-hmm. Right. Our mental health is is how we survive in right. a country like this when we've had to endure so much. And so I think that's something that, you know. My mother didn't necessarily prepare me for, I think there were tools and affirmations and um, spaces that she put me in yeah. to be the person I am today. But I think what happens sometimes is because I was so involved in so many different things, I adopted this mentality of like, I always have to strive for excellence, excellence, right. Right. like things had to be perfect. And so I think that was like a byproduct off of my own stuff, you know, that I had to work through growing up um, and and now like, you know, being actively in therapy and stuff like that, just based off of my own, like, this is more proactive than it is reactive, right? Mm-hmm. At this point. Okay. Right. Um, but um, yeah, I think just like as a Black person, especially like sometimes like when we're kids or whatever, we we adopt like this perfectionism mentality that like everything needs to be perfect like we right. need to be best we need to beat out everybody because people are already looking down on us kind of mm-hmm. thing yeah and so i think that had like an adverse effect for me specifically i can't talk for my for anybody else mm-hmm. um so i think just preparing me for or, or not necessarily preparing me for how to come out of that we've had conversations since and now that i'm an adult and we're like okay my mom is seeing me as like an adult yeah. And stuff like that. So we're able to have more conversations about that now. Um, but yeah, I think just like the like, how do you really, you know, take control and be proactive with taking care of yourself and yeah. not viewing that as a weakness, not viewing investing in your mental health, whether that's self-care, whether that is spiritual, right? Spiritual right. investment, whether that's emotional wellness. Um taking time for yourself, setting boundaries, you know, mm-hmm. how do you do all that? You know, and that's something that I'm still working through, you know, um, at this point in my life. So, yeah, I think just like the, um, the ability to really push back against everything needs to be so perfect and everything needs to be so excellent because for whatever reason, just really like, especially after the past two years of us all living in, in this pandemic, right. Mm-hmm. I think we've all seen just how important yes. mental health is as like the glue that really holds everything else together. Cause if your mental health is messed up, 
you stop, you check out of work, you know, you burn out, you stop engaging in the spiritual practices that mm-hmm. you probably lifted you up. You stop yeah. getting out of bed, you know? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I would just, I would just say that definitely like preparing for like the mental weight of what it means to try to like learn how to adult. <laughs> like, I don't know. Right. I know. It seems yeah. like after we leave high school, we just pushed into that adultness and yes. we're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> but you know, we've had several guests on here that um also um were proactive in 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 uh, getting that mental health spread. We had uh David Johnson, he was uh, in California, mm-hmm. and you know, he said because there's that, that stigma against yeah. the, um of going to see a therapist. Yeah. yeah. You know, they yeah. outside of God, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And and he was just saying how, you know, being able to talk to someone that can really be objective uh, was uh, is definitely good therapy for him. Right. Yeah. Um, we right. had other folks that's uh, yeah, on here saying yeah. the same thing, and they're young people and like they're they're proactive in getting themselves together. Yeah, yeah. I I was just going to say, I think what we're starting to learn, I think for a lot of us is that like God, Christianity, mm-hmm. spirit coexists, right? When there are people on this earth that have been appointed, right? Designated to, mm-hmm. serve, yes. right? you know, like serve, serve in a way to really help, right? People work mm-hmm. through things. And so I think, um, you know, like we're, I think we're, we're, we're reaching a place, have reached a place where we're just seeing that like all of this can exist at the same time. Like right. therapy doesn't cancel out God for a lot of people. There right? you go. Mm-hmm. And so like, I, I appreciate that there have been other guests that have been able to talk really openly about like, oh, their yes. relationship. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, right. Because yeah, I, I think your generation has figured out that it's okay. Mm, you know, mm-hmm. you know, my generation, it wasn't okay. And in yeah. some circles, it's still not okay. Because especially being a black man, you know, you got you got a certain uh persona that you have to have. And so mm-hmm. you so there can't be any kinks in the armor at all. Because if 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 family sees a kink in your armor, then what does that bode for the family? And so I think now it's it's like you see that there is a kink and if you don't get it buffed out, then it's yes. going to be doomed for the family. Yeah. Yeah. If you can't take care of yourself, you know, you can't, you can't take care of the other people in your life. And, and I think then that's the kind of conversation. And that's why I, I appreciate you talking about like the generational differences, because even in the conversations I've been able to have with my mother now, I'm like, cause she, yeah, she didn't have, um, she's in the same generation, right? Where it was stigmatized. But I think the way that she is um, really evolved and grown and talked about openly with me about like, Kevin, you need to take care of yourself. Like, how are you taking time off of work? You know? And, and to me, that's good parenting. You know, I don't know if mm-hmm. my mom watching, but mom, yeah, that, that's, 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 that's the kind of parenting that I think a lot of us need as black men, as yes. black boys. It's like, look, you can't, um, you can't show up in a way to where you're protecting other folks or however you want to, you know, exist in the family. You can't show up in that way if you're not taking care of yourself first. And right. so I think it's just because of the, the, the way that I think I'm able to um, 
have my parents hold me accountable, you know, at yeah. this point in my life to that, that that's been really, really helpful. Right. Oh, yeah. Regardless well, you know, of the generational differences. Right. Right. You know, I, I think that, you know, when they, you get on the airplane, they say, if the mask comes down, put your mask on first. Yes. Well, yes. I guarantee you that, that my generation, especially the mothers will say that when the mask come down, put yours on first, then you have everybody else. And then when the mask drops down, they're going to put yours on first and then put theirs on. Mm. Because even though we know that's the right thing to do, we're, we're still programmed. Programmed. Yeah to be the protectors and defenders of, of, of those that are coming after us. Yeah. You know, so, so we want to make sure that, that they're all right. Mm-hmm. Because, because, you know, a lot of, a lot of our, our, us, our, my peers feel that we've had our chance. Mm-hmm. And so we're in mm-hmm. cruise, we're in cruise control right now. So we want to make it as easy for you, your generation to have what we didn't have. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so then we know, we recognize that, that we might not have took care of our mental health. We gonna mm. make sure we gonna make sure you take care of yours. Yes, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but you I know love that, that. Yeah, you know that that's the black experience, though. Yes, it is. Is yes, that is, is that is that we we make our mistakes, but we try our best not to let those come after us. Make the same ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's what it means to, you know, care for each other. Like when yeah. we talk about, you know, caring for each other as black people, and like really being invested in our communities, investing in our schools, investing in our youth, investing globally. Mm-hmm. Like it means that we are able to have these kind of conversations that are very open and also very instructive, right? Like this is what I've experienced. How do we keep up with the times and make sure that you're prepared with how the world is changing? Because I'm not growing up at the time that my parents were growing up in, you know, and they're not my age right now. And so I think there's like this shared sort of like wisdom that can happen of like, yeah, yeah, because of our relationship. And so I just really appreciate, you know, any time that, you know, my elders, particularly like black elders are caring for me in a way that feels very um, like, okay, I'm just saying I want the best for you. Or like, I don't want to go necessarily down this path, even though we're having different experiences, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take care of you regardless. And I just want to make sure that you're set up, you know, mentally, emotionally, physically live a long life, you know? And so, yeah, I think just what you're speaking to is like, this intergenerational i think we need to have more intergenerational conversations yeah yeah um that show that we do we we still care for each other as black people because exactly. you know the media tries to make it seem like we all hate each other and like, oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> but no i think there's a there's a definitely an ethic of care here you know right. with with our communities for yeah. sure mm. yeah, well i tell you the, the majority of the guests we've had on here because this is show 66 or something oh, wow mm. and but the majority of our guests have been millennials and, yeah. and then we then we have, you know, people in our generation because the, we we see we see the strides that you guys are making to make this place better. Mm-hmm. All of us. And, and, and the, 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 the things when, you know, when we said, oh, I can't do it. Y'all say, well, why can't I do it? I know. Uh, yeah. Like, you, like you were saying, <laughs> like you were saying, the, the, the opportunities you didn't think existed. But then at the end of the day, you still went ahead and, and took a chance. I know. Yeah. And some yeah. of us, some of us didn't take that chance. <laughs> no, fear for me. But anyway. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I mean, and all of those reasons are valid. You know, I think yeah. from the perspective, it's also understanding that the barriers I think that folks before me experienced, I might not necessarily. And so I think there's also like this end of like, how do I take that wisdom right? But also understanding that a lot of y'all have very valid reasons for not 
mm-hmm. taking advantage of something or doing something because different times, different contexts. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I love that y'all have had so many different like sources of people like sharing their perspectives and millennials mm-hmm. um, because I think you're absolutely right. We often push back or ask like, well, why can't we do it? I know. I think, you know, a lot of times what we need is the, um, or what we, something, I mean, some of us don't need it. Some of us don't desire it, but like that encouragement to say, um, yeah, why not? Cause some, some older folks might try to stop us mm-hmm. from reimagining this or, thinking about something differently, but the folks who are actually like supporting, right. And actually right. saying, you know what, you're right. We might've did it this way back then, but there's no reason why you shouldn't take, we didn't know. you know? Um, and yeah, that's, that's, I think that's what really like helps us move forward, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm yeah. looking at, I'm looking at uh, um, some of my friends now with their smaller ones, you know, they already, uh, like you said, one of her son, her son is only four. And he already has two books on stocks. Oh wow! Budgeting. <laughs> Budgeting. He got YouTube. Oh. He got YouTube videos. And- oh, not the four-year-old about <laughs> to take out a four hundred one k already. Like, yes. Oh, <laughs> we gotta let kids be kids. I, I get we're trying to protect them, but we gotta let kids be kids. <laughs> we saw job up and said he already. <laughs> but I'm just and another uh, one. We had a person on one of our cousins, Johnny. I mean, I've never seen so many doctors. You know, I mean, black folks with PhDs that are young and Mm -hmm. out there making policies or being in there with these. uh, I'm I'm just elated. I'm telling you. Well, see, we we had a we well we had a special event for us because throughout our whole life, for the first time in history, we had a president that was younger than us. Mm -hmm. Mm. See that that had never happened before. And at the same time, we had never had a black president. And so it was all the same thing. When Obama became president, it was funny. We were were celebrating that that we were finally African-American president. And then it occurred to me when they were talking about him being swearing in, wait a minute, I'm older than him. Right. (laughs) It's like, whoa, wait a minute. Yeah, it was like a whoa moment. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that was another wake-up call. Like, wow. So so times are changing, but but the fact that we're still here and able to experience and enjoy it is a big deal to me. So let me ask you another question. So in all the work that you've been doing with, with the beloved community and, and, and the diversity and inclusion things at the schools, what is the biggest lesson that you've learned? Hmm. Um, I think one of the biggest lessons, well, that's a good question. Um, out of all this work that I've been doing, um, I think one of the biggest lessons that I've learned is that I think at the, at the, well, one, I'll just do two good things. One is that, um, it really takes people to make all of this happen. I think, especially like in organizations, sometimes we jump straight to like, I want results or I want like the outcome to be met. Deadlines got to be met. This we want to do this. We want to do that. And sometimes the people come last and that's how we see so much burnout. But really what we talk about, I beloved it so much is that people are the reasons why we have seen so many of the changes that we were just discussing. Mm-hmm. So leaving people out of what you do, leaving relationship building out of your, your equity work is, is always going to fail. And I, and I think that goes for a lot of different types of work, you know, is that, 
I, I've learned about so much about the importance of people organizing together, um, the capacity of people to really change policies in a way to where, like you were just saying, like we are seeing such an increase, particularly in Black women with PhDs, Black women with that are becoming doctors. Like all of this is possible. And so we can't really drive change. We can't do a lot of what we're trying to do in terms of making this world a better place if if our policies, if our practices, if what we're doing in our workplaces are not centering people, mm-hmm. you know, people's humanity is, is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the second thing that I've learned a lot about is, and I'm still, you know, thinking about this um, in my work and also my personal life. I think what's at the core of, what a lot of people desire is just freedom and and liberation, right? Like the freedom to be able to exist, the freedom to be able to make the changes that you want to make, the freedom to be able to be yourself in in whatever context, either that's workplace or Mm -hmm. in communities, Um, the freedom to, you know, to to feel free from trauma, right? And, And traumatizing experiences. I think so much of, what I hear in terms of people not taking advantage of opportunities, even in my own case, or um, instances of conflict, um, instances where we're not hearing each other, a lot of it is fear-based, you know? Like, so many of us are afraid of consequences or afraid of what could happen if things change, afraid to speak up at work. and I just yeah. learned that if so many of our decisions are fear-based, then how can we really grow? Like, how can we really progress? How can we really, you know, for instance, say that we have faith, you know, faith and fear, right. very conflicting. Yeah. Um, and so I've just been thinking a lot about, you know, this idea of like, what does it really mean to create this world where people feel liberated and free from fear? Um, because at the core of racism, right, why why race was even constructed, why racism was even constructed was out of fear of fear, difference, mm-hmm. out of fear of losing power, out of fear of mm-hmm. um, people overtaking me. And so because I, I have seen that at the fear of like these white supremacy groups that have organized, you know, in the past couple of years, it's all fear, right? Yes. Fear, yes. Of, fear of my race being eradicated, as irrational as that sounds. But again, because fear is at the core of so much hate and so much division, I really wonder what it means to create this world of freedom where people no longer feel like they have to be afraid, regardless of what your identity is. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, those are the two, I think, the lessons I'm still wrestling with, I'm still grappling with, I'm still trying to kind of figure out, you know, in my journey with equity work is like, Mm -hmm. how do we get to this, this liberated state where we can feel free and, you know, rest and, you know, leave some space for joy. Um, right, right, right. But also just learning that, you know, people need to be at the core of what we're doing organizationally at yeah. all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, we really want to like make some change. So yeah, I'll share those two things. I think that's something that, that definitely I've learned over the years. Right. Right. Mm. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Cause you know what, what a lot of people don't realize, and especially those that consider themselves to be Christian, Mm-hmm. Is that is that what God desires for us is relationships. Mm. The, the our whole existence is, is built on relationships. Community. Yeah, yeah. right. And so mm-hmm. and and fear is not fear as as we as we understand it, is not at the center of it. Although that's what we put there. 
And and fear is you that type of fear is put there by people who want to keep us out of relationship. Mm-hmm. And so, so to your point, yeah, mm-hmm. that's what we need we need to put people, put people at the forefront of, of what we do. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and and takes and take self out of the pictures as much as we do. Mm-hmm. Love, love, <laughs> love. If we could just have more love, yeah. I'm telling you. Yeah. Love is <sighs> Right. So it's so real thing. It, it is. It is. <laughs> but but the ones who want, you know, the, the, the ones, the, the other folks, their fear, like you were saying also, is that they don't want to lose their power, whatever they think, mm-hmm. that, whatever they think that is. Yeah. Right. And then some, and then, so they, they convince other folks that we're trying to take their spot in line. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Look yeah. at Ukraine. <laughs> yeah. It's a Look scarcity it. mindset. It's a yeah. scarcity we, there's not enough to go around, um, mm-hmm. and so, you know, having an abundance mindset minus fear, you know, and all of that, then we don't have to feel like our power is being taken away, you know, whatever that, whatever that irrational fear, you know, right. uh, means, but you know, mm-hmm. everything you do, you know, when I think about people centered, I think about every, how everything we do needs to be centered in love because love it's is an love. action, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. love is an action. It's practical. It's not mm-hmm. this theoretical. It just exists in the sky. Like love is 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 really an ethic. Is really um, is really practical. You know, mm-hmm. if your decisions are really rooted in how you love people, then that's how you get to equity. Because the reason why we have inequity policies is that they're not rooted in love. They're rooted they're not in, rooted no, in power. Mm-hmm. You know, they're rooted in power. They're rooted in exploitation. But if you say that you love people, yeah, and you mean that then you'll do the work that it takes to build this world where people have what they need, yeah. which is equity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know. Yeah. yeah. And, and then when you, and see, yeah. when you advocate for that, now they've, now they've come up with this dirty word, socialism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Helping other people. Ooh, that's socialism. We right. don't want that. Mm, you know, so, yeah. yeah. So yeah. now you take people who always thought that in their mind, that they were fair people, that they loved people, that they, you know, cared about other folks. Mm. But now it's socialism mm. and we can't have anything that resembles socialism here in these United States. Mm. And, and, yeah. and, there's, and, it's, and the sad part, like you were saying, people uh, got that mindset that there's not enough to go around. That's being mm. spread by the people who control 90% of everything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have everything. Yeah. They have everything. You, and that's why it ain't enough to go around because you won't give up none of no. what you got. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Let's spread the fear. Let's call things all kinds of things if it if it meets the objective of shutting yeah. people down. Yeah. Right. Name calling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, like you said, we all have our own definition of love. Yeah. It's not God's yeah. definition. It's ours. <laughs> right. But ultimately, what you said is the, is, the, is the bottom line people need to understand. Love is an action. Mm-hmm. It's, not, it's not an emotion. It's an action. Yeah. That's what, that's what the Lord said. Yeah. It's not an emotion because emotions change. But yeah. love is an action. It's an everyday choice. Um, right. like I love that book, Everything, um, Everything About Love, because it just talks about how um, love is an action. It's deliberate. It's intentional. It's a yeah. choice. Yeah. You can choose not to love or not to act in a loving way. Mm-hmm. But emotions are fleeting. You know, emotions are fleeting, but love yeah. is something that you really choose and decide to engage in. Mm-hmm. Every choice from the way you speak to people, from the way you yes. don't speak to them, from the yeah. way that you, you know, from the way you just exist. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I, exactly. Not an emotion. That's right. <laughs> not, not at all. That's what I said. Not a good love. Yeah. So, so what's next for you? Would you, you know what are your your long range, short range plans? Um, I think short range is just continue to try to be authentic in the work that I do. You know, whatever that means. Like, how do I show up every single day in this work in an authentic way, in a way that feels like I am impacting people um, based off of, you know, the work that we do. So mm-hmm. I think short term is to continue to really, um, you know, sit with myself, make sure that I still feel good about what I'm doing, you know, at the end of the day. And I make sure that um, whenever I engage in the work, it feels purposeful. Um, so that's that's short term is something that I'm always thinking about in terms of this work is just making sure that like I feel congruent, you know, that I feel like my actions and what I, what I state to be my values are like this um, in this work. So that's short term is like keeping my work with beloved, like that's my job. And, and I think uh, long-term, you know, I have thought about school um, potentially being sort of like a, a distant goal of like, okay, how do I take, what I, my lived experience and like what I'm noticing and maybe translate it into teaching. Um, and, um, like really thinking about like some more org change management culture, because I re- I'm really, I'm just really passionate about this workplace stuff. Like okay. I, I feel like right. so many people go to work hating it, you know, and dealing with things they don't have to deal with. So and that's, why we don't, that's why we don't have them going to work now. <laughs> Right. Everybody yeah, keep on yeah. thinking they just because they lazy, but no. People are burnt out. People are tired. People are tired of work. People are tired of working in toxic environments. Yes. They're tired, you know, and with reason. And so that's that's what I'm thinking long term is like, okay, how can I in a small way impact that a little bit, but from like the equity lens? Because People are quitting jobs left and right. I mean, mm-hmm. they want to have a job lined up, but they're like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick. We spend mm-hmm. all day at work and I hate it. So I wanna um I, I wanna like dive into that more like longer term in, in some capacity. I haven't figured that yeah. out yet. Right. Yeah, because you know the, the, right, you know, I, I hadn't even thought about that until you just said it really it uh because that's another thing that the pandemic did. It gave people time to step away from their jobs, yeah, yep. work. And then realize how much better their quality of life was, yes. and they didn't have to deal with that every day. Every day, yeah, That's absolutely right. Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about that. That's absolutely right. People came back and was like, "I actually don't have to deal with this. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. deal with this. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to deal with this." I ain't never seen so many advertisements for uh, work at home uh, situations, and I don't have to go into there. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah, but and and I and I, and I understand it because mm-hmm. the last five years I was at my job, I felt the same way. Yeah, I can't wait till I can retire because I, yeah. I, I I couldn't stand it anymore. It was just ridiculous the, the stuff that I saw that I had to deal with on a daily basis. You know, I I made a mistake going into management, and so the stuff that I saw from above me, but but also the stuff I saw from the people below me. Mm-hmm. It, it was like I don't need I don't need this in my life. Yeah, it affects your quality of life for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so with that point, we're gonna ask you this last. I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask you last question. See if Tanya anything for you. 
what is it that you'd like to do in your downtime? That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Okay. Y'all on the same page. <laughs> um, In my downtime, so I'm a runner. I was literally just running yesterday. So I like to run. Um, oh, and, and that's another thing about living here is that like up there, I, I probably can go months, you know, because Detroit has winter and I'm not trying to, you know, <laughs> I, my track coach used to make us run in the snow, but I'm not going to do that willingly now. <laughs> but the good thing about like living down here is like the weather is pretty much consistent year round, like anywhere between 50 and 80. So I do a lot more running um, in my downtime, like at the parks through the French Quarter. Um, downtime also involves like I have this poodle <laughs> that I have. So like <laughs> he just runs me ragged anytime that he can. So a lot of my downtime is also like running after him. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, dogs are children. I don't oh. I, I, me, I don't know if people feel <laughs> we got one. We got one. Okay. Yeah. And mine is a guy sitting to me though. Yeah, I just, I, I every time I look at it, it's like, oh God, God watching me. Uh, I love <laughs> that you have positive feelings towards your dog. Because sometimes my puppy just drives me like, I mean, just every move I make, he's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? You know, That's just, it. Right. <laughs> and she like, she uh, it's just she's my protector. She just, you know, she yeah. don't even want nothing coming near me. You know, <laughs> I love that though. Like my dog is definitely not a protector. He's scared of a lot. He he an anxious little puppy. He only wins. So um, so yeah, running after him and, um, just doing a lot of, um, a lot of outdoor activities lately, okay. mm-hmm. uh, this festival season in New Orleans. So a lot of my downtime is also just like exploring the city, even though I've been here for five years, there's always something going on, always something to learn. Um, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, a lot of my downtime is also just like trying new restaurants. Like I went on a, uh, fun started trying out different restaurants that had char grilled oysters <laughs> to kind of see like to start my oyster list so i like to start like lists of like okay this restaurant has the best this this restaurant has the best this so okay. a lot of my downtime also is spending a lot of my money <laughs> right. to these restaurants because i five years later i still actually have not been to that many so yeah a lot of my downtime is like in the city and okay <laughs> trying out these, uh, these businesses, these restaurants, you know, ranking them. Yeah. Yeah. You, you might good. wind up doing your little blog later on. A <sighs> restaurant blog. Right. Wait, let me make it, let me make a little money. You know, not only that, we'll call you when we there and say, hey, which one is the right. list that enough? <laughs> yeah, send, send you the list. I right, got you. Right. Okay, that's good. Oh, that's good. Kevin, it's been definitely wonderful. Right. Um, very so informative. Right, without a doubt. And so, so the last thing is, is it anything that you want to leave the listeners with in the mm. thought? Um, well, first I want to say thank y'all for inviting me to y'all platform. Um, I think promise. having 60 plus episodes is like amazing. It um, is. <laughs> that's, that's about what, five years worth of podcasts. <laughs> like, um, so it's definitely been, been a pleasure talking to y'all. Um, I mean, I guess the only thing that I can really leave is, I mean, sometimes people are like, you know, why do you talk about this stuff so much? Or like, why, like, do we always have to talk about race? Um, And I would say, like, I think that um, don't ever, I guess, be afraid or like hesitant to, to talk about things that bother you when it comes to these, like, you're never, because I hear this from, you know, a lot of folks is that I feel like I might be doing too much, um, especially in the workplace, like to like, was that a microaggression? Like that kind of hurt my feelings when they 
said they wanted to touch my hair. You know, the things that we had to experience mm-hmm. daily. I would say never second guess, right? What you know intuitively uh, when someone does something, right? That that crosses a boundary or when right. they try to shut you down for bringing up something about your story, about your narrative, about what you're experiencing. Never feel hesitant to do that because I promise you'll probably feel a lot better right? When you see what's happening and you make a decision to leave and find a place that will affirm you because it is possible. It takes a lot of work sometimes to to find that place and to find those leaders who will cultivate that space for you. But I think so many times we're afraid to be honest with our our story, to be honest with our experiences, to talk about race, talk about equity, to talk about access out of fear that we're making white people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or make people uncomfortable, you know? And so- What I always encourage is even if it feels scary or even if it feels, you know, whatever, um, not that it's your responsibility, but a lot of times when we're speaking up, we're making that place better for the people that are coming after us that now they don't have to speak on it. it. (laughs) When we talk about what you all were talking about earlier is like this, this generational thing or like, how do we care for each other? A lot of times, sometimes it takes us being, unfortunately, sometimes it does take us being the one to, to, um, to open that door for, for conversation. So I just want to say for the people who, you know, do experience some, some things of, of harm or like feel some kind of way about things that are happening. Don't ever second guess that like your voice is impactful, that it is making space for other people to also have that voice. So that way you don't have to suffer, you know, in silence. So mm-hmm. that's, that's all I'll say. Cause I also had to have that conversation of like not second guessing what I know to be true or what I right. believe. Right. That's right. And you know, in the last thing I saw, they do when you pay the cup, but I'm amazed that you still had to deal with somebody talking about, like, can I touch your hair? Well, yeah, they still, I mean, people's, I mean, some people don't even ask, um, but yeah, the, the, the whole hair, the whole like, you know, when people have braids one day and then they might have their, their natural hair the, the, hair next. the next day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that still, that still happens Whether I mean, maybe not as much virtually, um, you know, but people are back in work, but yeah, it's still, it's still a thing that people have to do. Yeah. It's amazing. It's amazing. And so yeah. they, they, they get offended when you, when you get offended. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like, but I, you, I don't understand right, that. Right. But you, but you want to treat us like a pet. A, a dial, a toy, or something, and then you get offended. We don't like it. That's amazing to me. Yeah. Or if I were to touch your dog without permission, your your, your dog, not you. Look, not you, your dog. <laughs> yeah, not not you. Now, if I were to touch your dog and, and scratch him without you, without your permission, it would be a problem. But you can just go all in the afro. All right. <laughs> 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 the struggle is still real. real. Still yes. real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's still real. All right, Kevin. Well, thank you for coming on. We we really enjoyed you. And uh you you left some some good nuggets, some things that uh for people not to just think about but to act on. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think that's what's important. Mm-hmm. And uh we pray that your 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 journey gets a little easier. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm full of joy. My journey has not been easy, but it's 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 there now. I'm here. Okay. Oh yeah. That's right, right. That's right. Well, as long as you still got that joy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's right. right. Keep that passion. That will pass the Jason. You say that all the time. All the time. That's all, all right. The Lord will lead you. She you wrote on the book, right path. Look, she wrote a book and a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, without a doubt. Yeah. All right. So you you, you take you care. Stop. 
We thank you All for right. coming on. Yes. Tell tell the folks we said hey. You probably oh, will. definitely will. Definitely will. Thank you all so much. All right. Now. You're welcome, please. Take care. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.